Good afternoon. Wilkinson here. Today my guest is Peter Gordon, and he is a mutual friend of Mark Holmstein. He said, hey, you need to get Peter on here and uh, and see what he's about. So Peter's here. Say hi, Peter. Hi. How you doing, Wilkinson? Thanks for inviting me. Glad to have you. So I think it would be good to, we chatted before this a little bit, but let's give some info to our uh, our listeners here. So where are you coming from? Tell a little about yourself. <laughs> okay. I'm currently um, a licensed marriage and family therapist in Palm Springs. Um, I had a practice here for eight years, lived here full time for seven years, moved here from Long Beach, but I'm basically an East Coast guy. I lived in New York for 20 years and uh, slowly but surely moved here to the West Coast and at 50 years old decided to become a therapist after a few other careers prior to that. Well, let's hear, I've got to hear a little bit about it. You, what else did you do? I was a graphic artist in New York. I was did some interior design. I also was in the theater as a dancer for a few years back in the day when I was young and supple. And <laughs> Then I moved to Santa Fe after New York, and which is where I got sober. I'll throw that in. I've been sober for 33 years now. Oh, congratulations. Thanks. It's been quite a journey. When I moved to Santa Fe, I opened up a landscaping business and was really a very spiritual experience because it was it checked all the boxes, mind, body, outside, active. It was really kind of fabulous. But it was in, in Santa Fe that I realized that I knew where I had gotten lost in my life as a gay boy back in the 50s, and I had nowhere to go with my realization. And I decided that I wanted to become a therapist and work with queer youth and coming out process. So I actually moved to San Francisco, uh, went to graduate school at 50 years old. And um, by the time I got finished and licensed and everything else, the internet had taken over and a lot of the gay youth had found each other and they were helping each other with the coming out process. So mm. I redirected, stayed in the gay community, but kind of redirected, started doing different types of therapy. I do predominantly EMDR now, which is a trauma-based therapy. Um, what does EMDR stand for? It stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Okay. And it has very little to do with the eyes, actually. That's what they thought it was initially. It has to do with bilateral brain stimulation and trauma reduction. I call it voodoo. It really is like a silver bullet in terms of helping healing. It's one of the reasons I like it so much because I can see progress very quickly with clients. And it's pretty solid, permanent healing. How does that how does that work just in a nutshell? Um, basically it is it's akin to to REM sleep. When you're in REM sleep your eyes are going back and forth right, right left. Right. It is during that process that you're actually processing emotions and experiences from the previous day. Uh, in trauma whether it's long-term abuse of some kind or even singular experience of like a car accident or something right. like that, feelings don't get processed properly. And there's an attitude about your life that develops from it. So it is a combination of an experience or an event, the feeling about it, where it is in your body, because it is somewhat somatic, and the belief, the negative belief system about your life. People who 
can't ask for a raise because they believe they don't deserve one or they're not good enough, that type of thing. In processing, which is done with either moving their eyes back and forth, following a light board, or tap, I tap on knees. There are different ways of doing it as long as it's alternate tapping one way or another. So you actually do that? I do. Okay. I do. Basically, what happens is that there is a reprocessing of the belief system and the feelings and Hopefully, within a decent amount of time, can be pretty rapid. It can take a couple of sessions. Uh, the person loses that negative belief system, and it turns into something more positive. You might also experience it if you've had a problem and you've gone out for a walk, and during the walk, you've realized the solution to the problem or felt differently about it. When you're walking, you're doing... EMDR so because it's left, that, the left foot, right foot, left foot, right, right. foot. Okay. It's, that's how it's done. So walking is good for you. Walking is good for <laughs> you in many ways. All right. So you said you're gay. Now I'm, I'm curious because so many of my guests on here have religious backgrounds. Was that part of your system or was it just something no, else? No, um, I grew up in, in the Jewish religion pretty rigorous. I was bar mitzvah, but right after that, I kind of left. And at one point, um, I rejected all of that. And there was kind of a spiritual bankruptcy at that point, I would say, because it wasn't long after that, that I found drugs and alcohol and used that in many ways, inappropriately to deal with my life. So did you have an actual coming out process then with your family and friends or? Not really. Um, I would say that the closest thing to a coming out process was I met my lover in New York and we moved in together and I invited my mother and my stepfather, and my brother and sister-in-law for dinner. Oh, guess two, who's coming for hour, dinner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> two hour, right. one bedroom apartment with one bed. So oh. that was kind of it. Really? Yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought I heard you say you were <laughs> wanting to work with uh, LGBT youth to help them in their coming up process because you had a hard time with that. Is that did I understand that right, or was that? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, what was the hard time for you? The hard time was um, the times back in the '50s. The attitude about homosexuality was pretty negative. I remember my mother at one point saying, "Homos are sick." And I said, you're talking about me to myself. Right. Um, my father would make queer jokes. Um, and so there was a lot of negativity around it. Did you know you were gay or did you just know that you were different? I knew I was gay when I was an early teenager. Okay. Up until then, I was going through the process from knowing I was different to something else. I also, at one point, not at one point, it was a few years, had a... Um, sexual experience. I called it an affair. It really wasn't, but four years of having a relationship with, with a male cousin. Oh, I was in high school. He was in college. That's pretty much determines that you're gay at that point. Where is he today? Did he make it through the eighties or (laughs) no? no? He, um, no, he's married, has kids. Oh, really? Yeah. He went the other direction. Well, at least he didn't die of AIDS. So no, he didn't. But do you ever talk to him? No. Not about that. I haven't seen him in a a long time. He lives on the East Coast, and he's pretty isolated, he and his wife. and So so do you think he's gay living as a straight married man, or was he going through a phase? What's your read on that? 
I have no idea, and I don't even want to conjecture what he was right or is. Okay. Because I don't know him well enough. Fair enough. So let's talk about you. What are you doing now? Um, you've got I'm all doing, these careers. I, yeah. <laughs> we, we joked earlier, and I said, well, well, were you a brain surgeon in there? But you said sort of. <laughs> sort of. Being a therapist is kind of like a brain surgeon. Right. You know, in keeping with my wanting to do as much healing as possible for myself and others and um, help the process along, um, doing EMDR and a couple of other therapies that are more um, immediate than talk therapy, which takes forever. And my philosophy now is that anybody who really knows where their pain is, is going to be really adept at talking around it for a very, very long. I don't want people to talk around anything for a very, very long time. I want them to heal. And that includes myself. I've suffered a lot over the years from my childhood, from my father, um, who was very controlling, and um, we did not have a good relationship at all. It kept spiraling down. And what ultimately happens is that people become spiritually sick. And emotionally, they develop, from childhood mostly, develop um, behaviors that get stuck in a rut and work as a great defense at when they're keeping the pain away. But after that, they become a barrier to healing. Mm. And so one thing about EMDR is it's nonverbal, so they can't talk around it. And they, other, so when you're doing that, a session on that, do they have to be aware of what's happening or is it just you do these sessions with the, the movement and the tapping and things like that? They're very aware. So they, they, know, they know what the problem is? They, yes, they actually have to identify it. Okay, they identify it. They have to identify, it identify the negative it. belief system, the feeling from an experience. It could be I had a client who tapped somebody's bumper on his way into into well, his parking, coming into the, the session, right. and the woman went off on him, and he had a meltdown because it reminded him of his mother. Right. So we were able to identify something right then and there and work with that. It cool. was great. It was a great opportunity. But I have learned through my years in AA and my years in, in recovery in therapy and doing all kinds of outside work that there was a limit to everything that I was doing. There was a barrier to true healing because the same as I say in AA, character defects kept coming up over and over and over again. And they weren't changing, nor were the triggers. They were always there. Mm. And one day, somebody I know bought a book for me, which was the genesis of where I am now in my healing work. Not to promote anybody or anything, but Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind, which gives the history and efficacy of the the use of psychedelics in healing in therapy was like, it just lights went on. I got all emotional about the possibilities. Um, and I started doing more and more research. I started watching videos on YouTube, listening to podcasts, following people like Tim Ferriss and Sam Harris and Gabor Mate all of whom are very involved in the movement. Jim Fadiman, who is the father of microdosing, the more I read and the more I know and the more I experience, the more I know that this is where things are moving in the healing aspect of 
psychotherapy. Um, psychotropic medicines are there to cover symptoms and to change moods, but not heal. And um, psychedelics do something very different. And especially when they are in conjunction with therapy, not just going out in the woods and taking a hit of acid and having a good time, right? which is what I used to do back in the day. <laughs> Didn't learn a thing. But when done as a, they're called medicines, when they're done as a medicine, when they're done with in the right set and setting, set being in a therapeutic setting with the set is the mindset, the positive mindset, not just playful with intentions of this is what I'd like to investigate. And the setting being where it's done, which is usually very controlled. Classically, a psilocybin journey and an MDMA therapeutic journey are done with a mask on, with a playlist, and with therapists in the room. So it's not done individually. So the person who's taking the medicine, they wear a mask? They don't have to, but they do. Uh, it, what, it, what's the purpose of the mask? To keep you going inside. It's focused, instead, so just yes, focus. Right. Okay. okay. And explain the couple of things you just mentioned, because I'm familiar with some of it, but some of my listeners may not be. So we throw out, you know, this or that. You talk so, about the the medicines or the set the, the medicines okay so psychedelics um which the word psychedelic comes from the greek meaning mind manifesting okay which is great they're entheogens which means the divine within so you put those two pieces together and we're looking at really a, a spiritual experience of mindfulness um and mind expansion each of the medicines do different things. Psilocybin is very much a a mind-expanding spiritual experience. If you do a good journey, a decent journey, um, a lot of people have experiences of being unified in the world and not feeling alone anymore. Um, LSD seems to be very much into mind-oriented thinking process type of thing. Uh, MDMA is works with setting yourself aside from your feelings so you're able to look at yourself and your experiences in a more like a detached abstract way. Yeah, yes. Okay. And what what do those letters stand for? Um that I got you on that one. Got me on that one. <laughs> okay. But the street name is Molly Ecstasy. Okay. That's okay. what we're looking oh, at. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. But all of these things deal with with there's something called the defense mode network in the brain, which kind of works as a guard for the trauma. So the guard will stop information from getting to the trauma to heal. It'll stop it from triggering the trauma as best it can. It will stop a lot of things. Well, what these medicines do is take the defense mode network and quiet it so it's out of the way. So the ego, if you want to call it the ego, is right. set aside. And so it is a very different way of looking at things. What they all do is go deeper into traumas. Some are, some people experience traumas they didn't remember. Some people heal traumas that they've had. Um, my experience was that I healed an old trauma. And with that, I had had a lot of somatic issues, um, lower back pain. And the lower back pain is gone now that the trauma has been healed. Wow. Do you know the cause of the back pain? Or like, did you have an accident or something? No, or? it was just trauma. It was just where I held the trauma. I know one person in particular, and there are other stories of 
people who have this person was diagnosed with um, ADHD. He was on Vyvanse for a long time. He did his journey and he's no longer on Vyvanse for over a year now. I have been off of my psychotropic meds for nine months now with no negative effects. I'm actually having more feelings than I've ever had Mm. on all of that medicine, medication. It's not medicine. So that the medicines that I'm doing, um, I've done MDMA therapy sessions that have been very healing and have really helped with traumas that I had suffered through forever, actually. Some of the some of them, like Bufo, ayahuasca, those aren't necessarily, as we were talking earlier, aren't necessarily as therapeutic because people don't do the integration afterwards as readily they don't work with a therapist they work with a shaman it's very different they go somewhere and leave some are done for dmt is often done for um, addictions and alcohol and people who do that don't drink or use a lot of people with heroin have done bufo and have stopped Um, Hmm. so we're looking at healing on a very very deep level that seems really permanent in a way that psychotropic meds just cover up symptoms and therapy has its limitation. In my estimation, now having had the experiences that I've had and done the research that I'm, I've done in the past right. and am continuing to do. So the book you mentioned earlier talks about the climate out there right now of things changing because there's well, you, you can talk a little about that. But I mean, it got a bad rap back when in the late 60s, was it? Nixon or? era. Yeah. yeah. Um, through Timothy Leary, who was actually part of the research that was being done back in the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. that was government-funded. Um, the research was mostly with end-of-life and helping people get comfortable with their diagnosis and their lives. And it was seemed very beneficial. It was also being used, LS, there was LSD therapy being used for anxiety and depression at the time. And some really famous people had done it. And a lot of people in Hollywood had done it, actually, from the reading that I've done. And then when Timothy Leary came out with his philosophy of wanting everybody, everybody should have access to this, and he started espousing it, LSD was easy to get a hold of. And the Nixon administration got really anxious about it and quashed it all and made it illegal. And that, that squashed even a lot of the legit research, right? Well, all the fun, all the government funding ended <laughs> right. at that time. Okay. But Some there private, still was research going on. Pretty minimal. Um, the only people who were actually still doing it, as far as I know, was at Johns Hopkins University. Mm-hmm. But if anything else was being done, it was being done underground. Gotcha. Fast forward to today, UCLA, San Francisco... Israel are all doing uh, phase three trials with MDMA for trauma, and the government is starting to fund again. The funny part is that very quietly, Big Pharma is also funding this kind of work. Why? Because, what? What is their interest in doing that? Because they know that they they can't keep on doing what they're doing forever, and they want to get in on the ground floor. And okay. Don't know how they're going to do it, whether it's... They yeah. could try to patent something in they some way, right? They will probably try to do something of that nature. Right, yeah. right. So they so, can get their fingers yeah. in it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but there's small government funding. Um, Tim Ferriss is a big funder of research. And then there's the Association of Psychedelic Studies. Okay. 
And it's based in Colorado, and they have been very slowly doing research into um, mostly MDMA. It seems to be the easiest thing to get taken off the, the or to declassify it as a federal offense and to be used therapeutically. Mm. Um, in terms of what they're doing, they're also training therapists, as is um, CIAS in San Francisco and a couple of other places. They're all training therapists to be psychedelic therapists. So that's the wave of the future, you think? It is very much the wave of the future. Some of it's being done. Ketamine is, is legal now. So ketamine therapy is very helpful with depression, mostly. And it's being done here in Palm Springs and L.A., a lot of other places. Then everybody else who's doing the other work with MDMA and the, the psychedelics, they're doing it all underground because it is illegal. And we could all lose our license if we actually admit to doing it. Which no one is doing it. Nobody's doing it. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm helping people prepare for a journey, and I'm doing integration work with them after a journey, but I don't do the other piece. Right. So are you excited about the possibilities here? I'm thrilled about the possibilities. I've been um, investigating doing trainings for myself uh, to help others. Despite my age at 75, I'm starting in a new venture. It doesn't really seem that uh, reasonable to me because I really want to retire at some point. But I do want to get more involved in all of this because I firmly believe that it's yeah. the wave of the future. And it really well, 75 is. is you know, it used to be 50. You know, yeah, so that's the what they say. That's yeah. what they say. It's, <laughs> I still get tired. <laughs> gotcha. Hmm. Do you think Timothy Leary was right? Is it for everybody? I believe if it's done therapeutically, it's for everybody. He did not espouse that at all. Um, well, well I, I'm not really that familiar with him. I mean, a little bit. But so what do you say? Oh, good times. Everybody needs this or what? What was his take on it? Because of the research being done and the efficacy of it, he wanted everybody to have that kind of experience, that kind of spiritual experience, that kind of, oh, how do I want to say, just growth, spiritual right. growth. growth and healing. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what he espoused. The thing is that people weren't doing it in therapeutic settings. They exactly. were just, you know, Woodstock. All so, those. so they clamped down on it. Yeah. He was... Ahead of his time, a little bit too ahead, maybe. Um, there was a, an organization of all these people doing research, and they tried to control him, actually, and he was uncontrollable. Really? Yeah. Because they did not want this broadcast the way it was. They realized, or they believed, that keeping it in labs with appropriate research, developing it as scientifically as they could, was the best way to go in order to get it into mainstream society as a right. therapeutic process instead of for fun and games. So the name of the book that started this for you, what was it again? How to Change Your Mind. And you mentioned that that's available in documentaries on Netflix, you said. Uh, yeah, there's a Netflix series now. Um, it's a four-part series that kind of outlines the book. I, I bought the book and I started it and it was like, it was too much for me. It was it's too, only uh, 400 too, and some odd pages. Too, too technical for all those. <laughs> that was a really thick book and little print and wow. Yeah. <laughs> and there were no pictures. No. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I, so it's uh, on yeah. Netflix. So that's, that's how that's mainstream it. all of this is now. It's on right. Netflix. Wow, that's crazy. 
So I appreciate you coming in. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? I guess if anybody is interested in doing any of this work, doing your research is primary. Um, none of these medicines seem to be addictive in any way, shape, or form, unless you are just escaping your life, right? which is one of the good things about it. And so there's also an organization called Psychedelics in Recovery, which is a 12-step group for people who are in recovery who can't necessarily talk about it in mainstream AA or NA or whatever. Um, just like back in the day when people were doing, um, starting to get into using um, SSRIs and things like that, there was a big, you're taking drugs, you can't do that. What's what's SSRI? What is that? Um, they're antidepressants, basically. Okay. All, All right. the antidepressants. Okay. People in, in hardcore AA said, you can't do that, you're taking a drug, you're not sober anymore. Now all of that is in mainstream AA and NA and life and whatever. Well, now psychedelics are in the same situation. People who are doing psychedelics in any way, shape, or form, whether it's microdosing or full or macrodosing, full journeys. Well, what is microdosing? Explain that. Okay, microdosing is taking one tenth of a full journey, which is usually about a hundred uh, grams. So you take um, ten grams. Ten grams. Okay. Every three days, Jim Fadiman, who did the, the beginning protocol for it in research you take you take it in the morning it's a it's a um it's a dose that you really don't acknowledge is there it you just don't feel it it just changes things for you huh. so if you take lsd which is often used for anxiety so you do an lsd microdose one morning and there's a shift in attitude and a, and an ability to live your life differently that day then the wow. next day, there's for the next two days, you don't do another journey, another mac microdose. And then you do it again and the you do that day. for 30, 30 days and then come off it. But some people don't. Some people take it whenever they want. Some people, they make up their own whatever. And that works for them. That's fine. Um, but oh. you can do it with anything from, from psilocybin, LSD, MDMA, all of them. So I probably cut you off, but you were, I said... Final words, you said, do your research. What yeah, else? Yeah, do your research. Um, psychedelics and recovery, um, if you want to do that, they can be found online. There are lots of meetings online just to go and listen if you want. Um, but YouTube is filled with information from authorities to people who have done, have personal experiences on there. Um, and then podcasts. Yeah, I, I, we mentioned, I mentioned her earlier. I listened to Aubrey Marcus, who's one of my favorites, and uh, it's been an eye opener with him, <laughs> with all the info. Yeah. Um, I mentioned Tim Ferriss, right. um, who has a lot of involvement, and so he's constantly having people on his podcasts giving more information. Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Peter, thanks for coming in. Thanks for great. inviting me. Appreciate thank, it. Thank you.